Uh, my mom is probably watching this morning on streaming, so happy Mother's Day, Mom. Hope things are good in southwest Missouri. And it does kind of help set the stage this morning to, to share her favorite story from me growing up. So indulge me, please. Um, I was under two years old, and I had... There are a lot of these kinds of stories. It's like a whole category of stories about messes I made growing up. And so this, this would fall in that category. I made a lot of messes. I could, I could be pretty destructive as a child. So, so this one, um, I had had a day where I had just made a mess of the house, broken stuff, gotten in trouble, gotten lots of spankings. My parents were big believers in spanking, um, at least with me. <laughs> And, uh, and so lots of spanking, lots of trouble, and it had been a really, really bad day. One of those days, my mom couldn't wait to get me in bed that night, you know, and be done with me. So, uh, so she got me in bed, and during the night, we had a very heavy snowfall, and I had never seen snow before. So the next morning, mom couldn't wait to get me up and show me the snow outside. It was blanketing everything. So she got me up. I'm there and stand there in my diaper on the, on the kitchen table looking out the window. And she's like, Gordon, what do you think? And this is, this is her favorite moment in my childhood. I looked out the window and I said, I didn't do it. <laughs> I didn't do it. So there you go, Mom. That was, but I, I was I was blessed. We're gonna we're gonna start a series this morning on the Divine Dictionary, and essentially we're gonna talk about some of the core concepts of Christianity. We're gonna talk about um, words that shape our faith, that shape our relationship with God. We're going to start this morning with the word of Scripture, which is love. More than any other word, defines the heart of God. And for many of us. We experienced love, sacrificial love, um, through our mothers, um, a very pure kind of love. And so I think it's appropriate that this particular word falls on this day. Um, now, let me, let me say this, because not everyone grew up in a loving home. Not everyone had that experience, and, and I understand that. And that's one of the things that draws me to the God revealed in Scripture. Because the heart of God, the true God, creator of the universe, is a heart for the lonely. It's a heart for the fatherless. If you grew up in a home like that, if you grew up without having good role models, without feeling that acceptance and, and, and that support around you, listen to how God feels. Psalm 30, uh, 68, verses 5 to 6. God, he's a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, that's who God is in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads forth the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. This is a God who has a heart for those who are hurting, who cares for those who are lonely. God knows the pain of the unloved. He has a special place in his heart for orphans, for victims, for prisoners. That's the God that we worship this morning. 
That's the kind of God we serve. And if there was ever a doubt about his love, he proved it once and for all on the cross when he gave up, when he sacrificed that which was most precious to him so that he could enjoy a relationship with you and I forever. The cross is the ultimate example that God is desperately in love with you. God is head over heels in love with us. Now, you don't necessarily share this conviction. I think probably a lot of people here do, but let me just share with you one of my personal convictions, which is the Bible is the ultimate revelation from God to man. The Bible for me is the authority for what I do. Um, It is the source. uh, When I need to find an answer about something, that's where I go. Um, When it comes to life decisions, the Bible is the ultimate authority and the ultimate revelation from God. If you don't believe that, that's okay. Welcome to Preston Crest. Be here. Explore your questions. Um, Do life with us. Worship with us and explore some of those questions you have. But I just wanted to let you know as I begin, that's where my conviction lies. And, And I say that because when you open the Bible whether it's in the Old Testament, whether it's in the New Testament, wherever it is, when you begin to seriously study the Bible and encounter the revelation of God found in the Bible, you will see that love sums it up. Love sums up who God is, and love sums up who God has called us to be. Um, Now, a lot of love songs on the radio, a lot of poetry, a lot of other religions extol love, praise love, talk about how virtuous love is. Christianity is different because Christianity doesn't just praise love as being a wonderful virtue. Christianity makes love the beginning, the end, and the middle of what it means to walk with God. It is everything. Jesus, you might remember, in Matthew 22, was asked, what what is the most important commandment in Scripture? Jesus said, good question. Let me give you the top two. First one, love God. All your heart, all your mind, all your strength. Love God. The second one is like it, which is love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, all of the law, all of the prophets hinge on these two commandments. The great Christian missionary and theologian, the Apostle Paul, takes up that theme. He says in, with the Roman church in Romans 13, 8 to 10, he writes these words. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. Has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, or whatever other commandment there may be, are summed up by this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is what? It's the fulfillment of the law. The Apostle Paul tells the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 13, Verse 13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is, help me out here, the greatest of these, yes. The Bible is very clear, not all things are equal. 
In fact, one is the greatest, and that is love. Paul writes the Galatian Christians in Galatians 5, verse 6, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. I think you get the point. Love is at the center of who God is. Love is at the center of who God has called us to be. And yet, so many believers struggle with it. They not only struggle to live it out, they struggle with it when it comes to their relationship with God. They live more like orphans. They, they live more like fatherless, or they live more like children who have a very cruel, harsh, judgmental, and severe father. So many believers um, live with nagging doubts about whether God really loves them. And after all, how could he love somebody like me, they reason. And I believe here in this room, we may have some who struggle with this as well. So I don't know that there's any concept, that there's any theme, that there's any word from Scripture that we could study that would be any more relevant to us today. Um, so many don't understand God's love. So many haven't experienced God's love or will not allow themselves to experience God's love. And so they live without feeling loved by God. And that's more than just being unscriptural, folks. That's just sad. That's just sad. Many who worship, many who are devoted, many students of God's word who don't feel loved by God. Wow. So maybe... Some of our own spiritual ancestors centuries back dealt with this same struggle to understand, to grasp, to feel the love of God. And maybe that's why the Apostle John wrote so much about it to his readers. Um, and what we're going to do, we're going to read from 1 John chapter 4. This reading is, is fairly extensive, but I believe there is power in the Word. I think that's where the power is this morning. It's not from me. It's from the Word. And so I, I would ask you just to try, as, as I read these words, just try to open your heart and experience these words um, that are coming from the Holy Spirit to you. 1 John chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 7, go to verse 21. Dear friends... Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. 
We know that we live in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. We have seen and testify that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world, the great proof of his love, right? If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And then verse 16, my favorite out of all of these, verse 16. And so we know and we rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him there is no fear in love but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with with punishment the one who fears is not made perfect in love we love because he first loved us If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. All right. What I want to do, this is on your outline this morning inside the bulletin. I really want you, I know it's, it's kind of small this morning. You'll have to write small, but um, the blanks aren't very big. But what I want you to do is really follow me on this because love can be so confusing and muddled. It is a word that is overused, wrongly used, and perhaps often used differently than it was used in Scripture to speak of God's love, all right? So we need to get clear on what the culture is talking about in love and what the Bible is talking about when it talks about agape love. So here, we got four different kinds of love according to the Greek language. Unfortunately, our language is poorer than the Greek language. We get one. Um, They have four different words to talk about love. And this is on your outline this morning. The first that I have on there is phileo. You may have heard this before, right? Phileo is the love between friends. It is the love between friends. It is, it is about common interests. It is about clicking. It is about chemistry. It is about enjoying each other's sense of humor, enjoying each other's camaraderie. It is a beautiful thing. It, it, is, it is a wonderful thing. It is a blessing from God, right? This love, which is the love between friends. And we're not talking about Facebook friends, right? We're talking about real friends, right? Real friends. Great article. Um, later today, get home, look this up on the Atlantic website, the Atlantic, um, the, the publication there. Great article by Stephen Marsh this month in May um, called, Is Facebook Making Us Lonely? Now, let me add this on. His, uh, add this before you get, get upset about this or whatever. He, his answer is not, not really. Um, his answer when it comes to that specific question is, if you're lonely before you get on Facebook, you're still going to be lonely when you're on Facebook. If you have lots of friends and, and, and are not lonely, then Facebook's not, it, it doesn't really, it's just a tool. It doesn't really change that. But, but I love what he says. He quotes some, some different uh, studies and some things, but listen to what he says in this article. He says, 
we live in an accelerating contradiction. The more connected we become, the lonelier we are. We were promised a global village. Instead, we inhabit the drab cul-de-sacs and endless freeways of a vast suburb of information. And then he talks about measuring loneliness. Measuring loneliness. Various studies have shown loneliness rising drastically over a very short period of time. Across the Western world, physicians and nurses have begun to speak openly of an epidemic of loneliness. And so we need phileo love. We need friends, real friends. Um, God, we read in, in the first chapter of the Bible, the first in Genesis chapter 1, there is God, Father, God, Spirit, God, Son. They're all present. This triune God living in harmonic relationship. They live as one. They are one God in this perfect relationship. We need that. We were made to live that, uh, live that way because we were made in the image of God. So there's phileo, the friendship love. There's also storge, which is second on your outline this morning. Storge is, is the love that is the bond that family members share with each other. You typically don't get to choose who your mom and dad are, all right? You don't get to choose who your brothers and sisters are, um, but there is a bond that develops that is special between family members, whether it's biological, whether it's adopted. There is this bond, and it's the kind of bond that is, that, that glue is firmed up by the two-week vacation in a car together living off of pimento cheese sandwiches in the cooler. All right? I hate pimento cheese sandwiches. I do. <laughs> After 35 in a period of days, you just kind of get to where you don't like it anymore, okay? And some of you don't even know, blessed are you who don't know what a pimento cheese sandwich is. <laughs> that's, <laughs> but that's storge love. Um, that's, that's the love among family members. Um, when you hit puberty, you begin to discover another kind of love, which the Greeks called eros, eros. Um, we use it to form words like erotic. It, it is sensual. It is the love of physical attraction. It is powerful. So physical, sensual attraction for one another. Um, and this is a kind of love that can hit you like a Mack truck. This is a chemical love. There are pheromones involved in this. Um, and as quickly and as passionately as it can hit you, it can fade in a matter of days or a matter of, of weeks. Um, and anyone who's ever had a crush on anyone knows what this kind of love feels like. So you've got phileo, you've got storge, you've got eros. All of these forms of love are based on either the attractiveness of the other person or some sort of shared behavior or some sort of, uh, 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 I mean, shared interest or some sort of good behavior by the other person. I mean, even, even storge love 
love, you can, you can refuse to go to the family reunion, or you can decide to live on the West Coast when your, the rest of your family lives on the East Coast. I mean, there are ways uh, of avoiding even, even family members, right? So, so, but there is this one kind of love, and this is where we're getting to the heart of Scripture here. There is this agape love that is fundamentally different from all of the other others because it does not depend on the loveliness, on the attractiveness, on the attributes of the other person, but it is a kind of love that wholly is determined by the heart of the donor, all right? And this is agape, and this is what we're talking about this morning in this text that we read, agape love. It is the divine choice. It is a decision of the will. It is a divine choice to sacrificially love based on the nature of the donor, not on the worthiness of the recipient. Right? We're not going to chase all these rabbits this morning, but you can imagine how this love would change a marriage, for example. When the love is based on the donor and a decision, this is what I am supposed to do. This is the person I will decide to love for the rest of my life. That changes everything. All right, and this is the way God loves. So quickly, we're going to be working through the outline fairly quickly this morning, so so hang with me on this. Why then is it that we, we all want this? We all hear this and we're like, oh, yeah. Well, what is it that stops us from experiencing this? What is it that, ex- that stops us from giving this to others? We're going to talk about some love blockers. So work with me on this here, all right? The first love blocker I have this morning on your outline is this one. The love of God is blocked when I filter it through my human experience of what love is. We've talked about that for a few minutes already. I mean, we have all these experiences of love that jade the way we view love, right? I mean, essentially, if I were to take storge and eros and phileo and translate them into today, I would say it's kind of like um, because, if, or when love. Like, I love you, I do, because you are so hot. Or I love you, I do, because you're a great tennis partner. I love getting together with you and playing tennis. Or I love when. I love you, I do, when you give me gifts, when you don't forget my birthday, when you... In other words, there are all these kinds of love that have all sorts of strings attached. And we are raised from the cradle, right, on this kind of love. Maybe in our mother we see some agape. Maybe in our father we see some agape. But mostly what we experience in our culture and in our world is this because love, if love, when love, strings attached always. And so we're very confused by our culture, um, and and we struggle with, with this with, with understanding God's love and how can God love me because I'm not attractive, I'm not lovely, I'm not uh, uh, you know, morally perfect, I'm not all of these things. How could he possibly love? And so I'm running it through these filters. Well, God doesn't love those ways. God loves with agape love. God loves because of who he is, not because of who I am. Then there's this other blocker here. 
The love of God is blocked when faith is primarily an intellectual exercise instead of a relationship. All right? When faith is primarily about having a set of the correct beliefs or having a set of the correct doctrines, by the way, those are very important, but when it's primarily about that, it blocks love because primarily, fundamentally, Faith is about having a relationship with your heavenly Father. That's what it's primarily about. And when you get that down, all of the other stuff starts making sense, and it becomes healthy. When you don't get that down, religion gets very ugly. Right? Paul talks about it like this to the Corinthian church. Chapter 8, of 1 Corinthians, verses 1 to 3. He says, look... Now about food sacrificed to idols. This was kind of a doctrinal belief question that they were wrestling with there. We don't so much wrestle with that in North Dallas today. But now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, all right? Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. So knowledge can artificially inflate. Love is always real, all right? It builds. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know, but the man who loves God is known by God. Relationship. They share a relationship. Person A may know a lot more than person B, Paul says, But if person B has experienced the love of God and walks in the love of God, well, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. So, religion can sometimes put the proverbial cart before the horse when it is more concerned with doctrine, when it is more concerned with correct beliefs, with orthodoxy, than it is with the first thing, which is a relationship with the God who desperately loves us. And I think we've all seen that in different ways, probably. Now, the next thing is this, a love blocker. The love of God is also blocked when faith is primarily centered on tradition rather than on the heart of God. And Jesus was confronting this all of the time. These people who got everything just right, who went above and beyond to maintain all of these traditions, which they believed was their way of honoring God. And Jesus often saw that their traditions that were meant to honor God were actually blocking them from the heart of God. So listen to this in Mark 7. He says this, this is from the New Living. Jesus replies, um, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their religion, or their worship, sorry, is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. If you ignore God's law, for you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. So tradition can also get in the way. And in, in this case, Jesus says, keeps them far, and he's quoting Isaiah, keeps them far from the heart of God. Again, the heart, the relationship. And then the final love blocker here, the love of God is blocked when the believer is controlled by fear instead of freedom. Fear instead of freedom. Now, we've talked about fear of God here. This is a whole 
big kind of topic that we could go on. Fear of God does not mean being afraid of God, right? Actually, fear of God is the most secure place you can be. If you have the biblical idea of fear of God, if you live in that, then you don't fear anything else. You are the least fearful person around if you have the fear of God. And it's not the fear of a slave to his master. The fear of God is the, is the fear of knowing how deeply loved you are and not wanting to let your father down. That's the fear of God biblically, and it is a very safe, um, wonderful place to be. And then you're not afraid of the things that other people are afraid of. You are not a fearful person, but some people, instead of the fear of God, they are afraid of God. And so instead of enjoying confidence and joy, they live live in, in a great insecurity and constant kind of low-grade distress. And that's why we read earlier from 1 John 4.18, this apostle inspired by the Holy Spirit says, there is no fear in love, but perfect uh, perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So according to Jesus, 100% of my response to God has to do with with love. That, that's what it's all about. First commandment, second commandment, everything else hangs on it. Um, but too many times, folks are eager to talk about worship issues, or they are eager to talk about um, obedience questions, or too many times people are eager to talk about sin issues without orbiting their hearts around the love of God. My mind, my heart, my soul, my strength, all orbiting around the love of God. And if I don't get that down, those other questions and discussions become very unhealthy and frankly a little bit scary. Good things, good things, godly things, like obedience, repentance, um, biblical advice for having a stronger marriage, all of this sort of stuff, which is good, it, it doesn't work quite right when the love of God isn't at the center, right? Does that make sense? Let me, let me help out here. Let, let's take obedience for a second. Everyone knows obedience is in Scripture. Obedience is a good thing. O- we're supposed to be obedient, all of that, okay? We know that. We all agree. Everyone in this room would agree with that if you're a Christian, um, but we'll just kind of look at how it can get messed up, how such a good thing can get, can get distorted. Um, John, same fellow, same apostle, in John chapter 14, verse 15, says this. Actually, he's quoting Jesus. Jesus said this, and John's writing it down. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. If you love me, you will obey what I command. Now, let me share with you a little of my story. Maybe you can identify with this. I read this, or I heard these words of Jesus in reverse for a long time. I got this exactly wrong for a long time because I took these these words and I was somehow 
contorting them to fit my fears and my insecurities. And so what I came up with when I read these words from Jesus is, if you don't obey me exactly right, then you don't love me and you're toast. That's how I read it for a long time, which is not at all what Jesus is saying. Um, He's saying, if you love me, it starts with love, remember the words here. If you love me, you will want to experience me. You will want to experience my will for your life. You will want to experience my wisdom. You will want to experience my way of being. You will want to experience me at the deepest levels if you accept me. If you, Jesus says, if you are swallowed up in my love, then you will be drawn into greater harmony with me. Obedience. If you love me, if you are passionate about me, if you have given your heart to me, you are going to be an obedient person. You may make some mistakes, but you are going to be a person striving with all you are to be obedient because you love me. Now, I read this for a long time as meaning essentially, as saying essentially, obedience is required in order to unlock my love. Really, Jesus is saying, you are never going to have a chance at being an obedient person unless you know how much I love you. So lower your walls of protection. Quit hiding from the truth about how God feels about you. He does love you. Denounce demonic voices that want you to live afraid of God. And then the Spirit of God can begin to transform you. Only then. All right. Otherwise, obedience. Here's what happens. If I start with obedience, and I have to be obedient in order to unlock, unlock, unlock God's love, if it's, then, then all that I do in terms of worship, in terms of religion, in terms of obedience, it's all about me. Worship is about me getting everything right so that I can unlock God's love. Obedience is about me getting everything right. Even my good works become about me doing things so that somehow I can earn God's favor. Somehow I can pry the door open and receive God's love. You with me? Love is the first thing. Jesus said it, okay? First commandment, love God. Second commandment, love others. Everything else will fall into place if you get that down. Love. But when you're captivated by the love of God, all of these other things become your beautiful response to God. You are drawn into deeper and deeper levels of this agape of God. Now, quickly, talk real quickly about experiencing the love of God. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this. I just thought it it was important kind of to finish off with, well, what do I do if I struggle to experience the love of God? If I'm really blocking myself from feeling um, the love that God has for me, what can I do to kind of rectify that? Well, this is going to be a life journey, all right? This isn't something that you're going to fix today, but there are some things that you can practice, um, some habits you can develop that will help. So first thing is this, understanding 
Right? You know, Jesus talks about loving God with your mind, um, understanding. And for me, nothing helps more with this than meditating on the cross. In Scripture, whether it's Paul, whether it's John, when they are trying to express to you and I how God really feels about us, they tend to point to the cross. So fill your mind with the cross. See and experience the proof of God's sacrificial love for you. On the cross, my sinfulness, my shame, my unworthiness was swallowed up in the sacrificial love of God. Second thing here, I'm calling delighting. So I'm understanding, I'm delighting, I'm taking joy in, I'm savoring, I'm relishing, um, delighting. I will, and I do this, I will habitually spend time alone with God in study, prayer, contemplation, and worship. So it's not just about showing up on Sunday morning with the body of Christ. That's beautiful, great, awesome, glad you did that. Um, But a relationship is developed one-on-one. And for some of you, it may be just immersing yourself in lots of study of Scripture. I think Scripture needs to be part of our, of our time with God. For some of you, it may be listening to songs. It may be reading some poetry by, Christ, by, by Christians contemporary or centuries back. It, it, but it, it is spending time alone with God, things that draw your heart closer to God. You, you delight in God. You rejoice in God. Third thing is, is cooperation. My experience of God's love deepens as I walk in obedience to his love. Because when I obey the word of God, when I follow the commandments of God, I find myself saying, wow, he really loves me. Wow, that command for this area of my life or this other area of my life, this really blesses me. There's life in that command. Um, This is the Father giving me instruction that he knows will bless me, that he knows will lead me to life instead of death. And so I, 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 I obey, I walk in harmony, I cooperate with what the Spirit of God reveals to me. Four, sharing. My love for God matures as I demonstrate his love to others. This, this is ministry. This is service. This is getting out and, and practicing acts of kindness um, and sharing the, God's love with others. So this morning, God is calling you. He's saying, I love you. I really do. I love you. And my love for you is unlike any of these strings attached versions that you may have experienced up to this point in your life. My love is complete. My love is sacrificial. Welcome my love into your heart, into your mind, into your soul, into your strength. Welcome my love. So whether you are just now coming to God um, in faith through Jesus Christ, whether you have been in the kingdom for a long time, but have put some walls up, there have been some blockers keeping you from experiencing God's love, wherever it is that you're at this morning, um, just know the whole thing hinges on God's love. From beginning to end, your walk with God is about living in the agape of love.
Author Sky Jethani wrote a book called The Divine Commodity. Um, he comes from Indian origins, so his father and he one time took a trip to India, and he shares a story from, from their trip in, in India. They were in New Delhi. They came across a young boy who was, who was essentially a beggar, skinny as a rail, naked except for some tattered blue shorts that he wore. His legs were contorted rather like a, a wire coat hanger that was just bent up. And so he couldn't stand up. He, he just walked around on his, on his calloused knees. As they came near the boy, the boy just started saying, one rupee, one rupee, please. One rupee. Finally, Sky's father stopped and regarded the, the boy and said, what do you want? And the boy said, one, one rupee, sir, motioning with his hand to his mouth. One rupee, sir. Sky's father <laughs> kind of laughed and said, well, how about I give you five rupees? The boy went from this, this kind of deferent, humble spirit to, to, this, to this defiant spirit. Kind of sneered at him and started walking away. He thought it was th that Sky's father was making a joke about him, was mocking him. So he scooted away on his knees, murmuring curses under his breath until Sky's father put his hand in his pocket and the young boy began to hear some change rattling. And then he turned around and Sky's father was holding a five rupee coin. Sky's father walked up to him took the boy's hand, put the five rupee coin in his hand, folded his fingers around it, and the boy held it tightly, and the boy just stared at his hand, speechless. Sky and his father crossed the other side of the street. In just a few seconds, they heard the boy shouting once again. This time, he wasn't begging for money. It wasn't one rupee. It was, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Bless you, sir. And the boy was actually scooting across the street. And so they waited. The boy caught up with him. And this time the boy found, found, encountered them not to panhandle, but just to touch the feet of the father. And I wonder if God sees us like that. Miserable creatures not even knowing exactly what we need. Um, when God offers his love, it just seems too much. It seems like a cruel joke. It can't be true. And so rather than accepting the amazing gift the Father is offering, we, we choose to live in fear. We choose to settle for some very mediocre substitutes. This morning and every morning, God is inviting you to experience his love, to grow in his love, to let the curtain open and see how much he loves you. And that is what our faith is all about.